I received a text message from a friend just the other day, just checking in. Just wanted to see how I was doing. We hadn't communicated in a little while. And uh, so he said, hey, how you doing? I want to know how you're doing. I hope you have a friend like that. Maybe you do. Uh, someone who just checks in for the sake of checking in. Uh, just, uh, just because they, they can and they, they care about you. And I think about the Apostle Paul and the church, the Philippian church. They're a few years before smartphones and texting. Uh, but they want to check in. The church wants to check in with Paul. How are you doing? Is everything okay? And so that took a little bit uh, longer back in that time. And so they send Epaphroditus uh, to see how Paul is doing. Um, and he comes with this uh, material gift uh, for Paul. Paul is, uh, you know, Paul has been in jail before. He's even been in prison in the city of Philippi. Uh, maybe you can remember how that turned out. In Acts chapter 16, there was an earthquake, and the shackles fell off of their arms and their legs. The doors of the prison swung open. But so far, uh, no earthquake. So far, no dramatic miracle. No angelic appearing to sort of bust Paul out of jail. So what's going on? Uh, the church uh, wants to know how he's doing and uh, Paul, gives them, uh, Paul gives them an answer in this letter, and it, it's probably not quite what they expected. Uh, and so we're going, to, uh, we're going to read, beginning at verse 12, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to go through three quarters of verse 18. If we look at the, the syntax of these verses and the themes, um, you really could, could carry this all the way through verse 26, but uh, 12 through 26 is too much for a 20-minute sermon or so on Sunday morning. So... Um, we'll pick up at, uh, at verse, the last part of verse 18 and go through 26 next week. But here's where I'm going to encourage you to stand with me as we read God's word together from Philippians chapter 1. This is part of Paul's response to the church. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rivalry, but uh, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Maybe not quite the answer we would expect from someone imprisoned. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this word that you have given to us. Because it comes from you, Lord, it carries your authority and your power. And it is a word that is necessary for us. And so we pray that you would imprint it upon our hearts, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and that we would be encouraged uh, to share, to spread uh, the very fame of the Lord Jesus in this gospel message. Help us now, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. I'm not sure I had ever watched a horse race on television before until just a few years ago when one of our 
neighbors across the apartment, about 20 feet away, she, uh, she said, hey, would you guys like to watch the Kentucky Derby? And uh, I said, well, that, that sounds interesting, something we haven't done before. And uh, so we put supper together, because um, the Derby is always right about at supper time. And uh, we turned on and we watched this, this horse race. And we've tried to catch it most years since, since then, because uh, it's kind of fun to see the, the pageantry and the tradition that goes along with it, and you know, the long wide-brimmed hats and the long trumpet fanfare uh, that goes with this, uh, with this race. And then you can watch for hours ahead of time, because there's, not that you spend your time that way, but you know, the storylines and, and, and all the, um, the, the build-up to this race, including a lot of money that's, uh, that's uh, used uh, for this race that's just under two minutes long. Um, I think so much can change in a horse race. You have a clear winner out from the gate, and then a couple hundred yards, or maybe halfway around the track, and, and, and now that, that, that horse is, is completely out of the hunt. Even, even the last few yards, the last few steps of the race can determine everything. Uh, wasn't the case uh, last night, uh, from what I saw in the past, the, the, the winner was, um, was pretty clear. But when you think about upsets, you think about, you know, every sport has an upset, but I think no more clear than in a, in a race to the finish line or to the pad. Um, everything is clear one moment, you're riding high, and then it changes. You're a distant second, and then that feeling is very different um, when you're in that place. Uh, so upsets are common in sports. They're oftentimes fun to watch. But in other parts of life, upsets aren't so much fun. Uh, upsets hurt. Um, you know, things, things seem to be going well, and then in a moment, it changes. You get that text message, you get that, that email, and your life is just turned upside down takes you from, from the winner's circle, which seemed to be going smoothly, and then now you're watching on the sidelines going, well, what has just happened here? Um, what's going on? If that hasn't happened to you yet, it, it will in time. Um, and then predictable questions start to surface when we encounter these upsets. Well, why, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? Did, did I fail someone? Did someone else fail me? You know, if things were going the way they were supposed to, then things like this wouldn't happen in my life. Maybe you're there right now, going through an upset in life. What should our reaction be to, to the upsets? They just seem to come out of nowhere. And the Apostle Paul, he desires, he desires for love to abound in, in knowledge and discernment for this church wants their love to increase, but there are those things that, that push back and trip up the ability to love and the joy that we have uh, as a body in Christ. So we're going to take a, a closer look here at the upset. Paul's experience of adversity both on the outside as well as uh, the inside and what it is that we can learn from that. Church wants to know how Paul is doing. 
he continues by saying, I want you to realize something. There's something you need to know and, and really process this. Paul may be confined with, with no ability uh, to move around. He was, he was likely shackled to a guard or maybe between a couple of guards. It's possible he was under a, a house of arrest, uh, so confided to his uh, living quarters there. Uh, but the work continues. The gospel message is not being confined in any way. Quite the opposite is happening. Uh, the gospel is now advancing. A couple weeks ago, there was, a, there was a small Civil War muster uh, up here in Cabot. And uh, one of those days, one of the afternoons, they had a battle reenactment. And so there were well, about 10 Union soldiers that were marching across this field in this reenactment. And they'd all stop together, and they'd, they'd load their muskets and fire. And then they'd take another 15 steps and fire. And just when it looked like they were ready to charge, they'd turn around. And they'd go back a couple maybe 10, 15 yards, and then they'd turn around, they'd, they'd go, now I'm not sure if this was a tactic of the time, or if this was to, to draw out the reenactment uh, a little bit longer, but, but they'd go and then they'd retreat. And so Paul said the gospel, the gospel's not retreating, the gospel is advancing. Don't be discouraged, don't retreat. In spite of this adversity, this upset of imprisonment, more and more people are learning about Jesus. The gospel um, is not confined, even as Paul is. And so contrary to what the church may expect to hear, Paul is not in some miserable state. Uh, he's encouraged, he's rejoicing. That even though he can't go anywhere, the gospel is going everywhere. We see in verses 13 and 14 that it's reaching both the, the non-believer and those in the Christian community. The Roman guard, this Roman uh, praetorian, um, these, these guards would have been the, the ones that would have been around Paul or that he would have been um, shackled to. Uh, and uh, you, know, you could just hear them. <laughs> you wonder, well, how, how, do, how do we know that the gospel is spreading? Um, how does this happen? And it's very possible that Paul was sharing this directly uh, with them. Can you, can you picture the guards? You know, hey, Servius, you, you wouldn't believe this. Uh, I have to stand by this guy all day long. He's telling me about this, this Jesus. He claimed to be God, and then we killed him, and now they can't find his body. I had to put up with this all day. You know, that sort of thing. Maybe that's happening. Um, or it could be that by Paul's very attitude. I mean, look, look at what he's conveying here to the church. He's not complaining at all. They may have learned more about Jesus um, by, Paul's, by Paul's attitude, his demeanor while uh, in prison. Um, he's going to expand on, on this situation uh, throughout this letter. Um, but there's no, no woe is me. I can't believe this is happening or that I have to put up with this. His eyes are in Christ. His focus is on the gospel. And so think about what's happening in this, in this period, in this time, that the Roman gospel is conquest. The Roman gospel is expansion. So it's very likely that Paul is riding that theme and that understanding that it's now, it's now the expansion of the gospel. The expansion, the spreading of Christ's name over the Roman 
uh, Roman world. So other Christians are encouraged, verse 14, they're emboldened to share the gospel um, all the more because of Paul's situation, um, because of his example uh, to them. So I want us to consider our experience in the church for a second. Um, when we hear about the persecution and suffering of other Christians, how do we respond to that? Um, does that give us a greater confidence, a greater boldness to speak for Christ. Uh, you may not wrestle with this the way I do, but when I hear about you know, other Christians, brothers or sisters in the Middle East who are being persecuted or maybe slaughtered for the name of Christ, the hand of ISIS, I don't go, hey, you know what? I need to talk about Jesus more. If they can, if they can stand for him, so can I. I don't, I don't usually respond that way. And when we, when we consider what is unfolding in the world, what Christians are facing now, what Christians will continue to face in the days ahead, what our master has faced, um, there should be gospel conversations happening all around us. Now just think for a second how many organized churches we have in a half a mile radius of this place. In this, in this town. You know, we can go from, from now, we can go from a Sunday morning to next Sunday morning and have very few, if any, real conversations of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. So maybe happening online a little bit, I, can, I get that, kind of the, the safety of the computer screen. But what about those flesh and blood relationships, people that we know uh, interact with throughout the day? Um, and here's where Paul's word, it really... His entire approach in this letter, it's sweet music to our ears, it's encouraging, but it pricks our conscience. God's word through the apostle is, it's, it's calibrating our understanding of adversity. It's reframing the upset by, by looking first to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him and not on ourselves. So you and I are crushed by the upsets of life because we're so obsessed here with ourselves. Is this, is this going to be comfortable? Is this going to be the safest option? What will happen to me now? What will this do for my reputation? If that is our first stop in adversity and the upsets of life, then, then we're going to retreat. And, and the joy will never, will never surface. Paul knows his situation. He's facing, likely facing a death sentence uh, in front of him. Uh, this may be the last word he gets out uh, to this church. You want to know how I'm doing, church? Jesus is being made known. That's how I'm doing. The gospel is advancing, reframing. God in his, his providence that, that sees Paul in prison is completing his good work. If we go back to, to verse 6. This upset is a providence of God. It's an outworking of his sovereignty. God has not done Paul wrong in some way. And you know what? He's not out of the office either. When you get that message, when you get the text or the email that changes life, God's providence is good and it is wise. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, he writes this very simple sentence, yet it carries great power. 
In providence, then, the believer looks for God's handiwork and submits to God's severe mercies. Looks for God's handiwork and submits to God's severe mercies. Only as we gaze upon the beauty of Jesus and hope in the one who is the very anchor of our souls can we frame the upset as a severe mercy of God. Just as as part of what he is completing in us individually and as his people. So Paul's upset, it came from the outside, his imprisonment. Uh, Then there was also upset from within, the very proclamation of the gospel itself. There were those who were sympathizing with Paul. They were on board with this mission. They were encouraged um, by his confession, and they too were confessing Christ boldly, confidently. Um, Others, however, were not showing this type of love. Um, They were envious of Paul. Their motives in in sharing the gospel were actually to, to do Paul harm. Maybe they wanted to see a harsher treatment while he was imprisoned. Maybe they were envious of the following that he had. We're not really sure because this is down to motives, motives of their heart. We know that only God knows the heart. So the gospel is being affirmed, but their motive is something very different. But we can't be sure it was the gospel. We can be sure it was the truth of the gospel. You say, how do we know this? Because we know that Paul is deeply concerned about content. Remember how he started his letter to the Galatians. Let me just uh, read that for us. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is a content guy. So this is, not, this is not an issue of doctrine that he's talking about here. It's an issue of heart motivation. Now, he, he's, not, he's not affirming the manner in which this is being done. This type of, but he's just affirming the fact that it is being done. The gospel is being preached. The important thing is that, that Jesus and his finished work are made known. Whether it's preached with sincerity or with selfishness, Paul rejoices in that. And it's possible, had the, if he had the opportunity, he may have tried to correct them. But again, he's writing to the church. He's modeling for them how to respond in these type of situations. So his attitude is, uh, is very different. In fact, it's very different than, say, the, very, the young uh, disciples in Luke chapter 9. Maybe you remember this. You know, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and so we tried to stop him because he wasn't a part of our group. You remember how Jesus responded to that? He said, if he's not directly opposing you, then let him go. Let him be. Um, The implication is that the name of Jesus is being heard. Rejoice! The gospel is advancing. Paul shows a a deep confidence in the working of God through his message, despite the, the efforts and the attitudes of men. So, you know, as part of a connectional body of churches, which this church is, placing a high value on thinking, a high value on study, then I like to skip verses like a, a verse like 18. Let's just go right over it. 
in every way, whether pretense or truthfulness. You think, come on, Paul, stick to your guns here. Don't let him get away with this. We want the truth, and we want, we want one motive, and we've got the bead on the truth. If they're not saying what should be said, well, then, then either correct them, pounce on them, or disassociate. It hits close to home for us. Many of our circles. We need to be as clear as possible. We're called to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us. Paul would be right in front carrying that banner. Okay, but we're not to not to look for controversy, not to be petty. So we're not indifferent to the message, but our love for the message should supersede maybe the motives that are there. Uh, we, we need to realize that folks can share the gospel with interests entirely different than the gospel. And that's not always easy to discern. It can be very hard uh, to discern. But if it's the gospel, then let it go. Rejoice. Um, we don't have to encourage the, the manner or the motive, but rejoice if Jesus is heard. And it sparks some other gospel conversations uh, in our community. You know, just a week ago, Family Life, they had a one-day event here in Little Rock, and I know Michelle can share with you so much about that. Um, a great day with, with speakers and skits and just an encouragement to family, blended families, um, that they could begin to be reconciled, they can grow together, mature together in unity. Um, and I got a chance to listen to a good part of that uh, live uh, stream. Uh, and it was very, very encouraging. Now, if you were to talk to Michelle, she might tell you that things didn't go off perfectly the whole day, uh, that there may have been um, some things, some words that she would like back or, or phrases that, that some of the presenters you know, uh, offered that they would like back to change. Um, but I, I communicated with her afterward, uh, and she just said as part of her her response. She said, you know, there were 400 people in Little Rock, 3,000 host sites. God was indeed glorified, and the gospel went forth. I thought, there it is. There's that, there's that rejoicing, maybe even a subtle reframing of the upsets that would have happened throughout the day. Things she would have liked differently, could have gone differently. But it's all for Jesus. The gospel is advancing. It's a beautiful thing to see. There's also a move toward unity that we can't miss here. Paul's attitude is very charitable. Uh, even with those whose motives may be, may be wrong, um, you know, think, think about our, our relationships here within the church, within our own families. We may not always see to eye to eye on all issues. And that doesn't mean we're indifferent to those issues, that we stop all conversation that wouldn't be a loving response. But who are we fixing our eyes on in the disagreement? Ourselves, our desire to be right and have things our way, or, or Jesus, making the gospel of Christ more well-known. We see an example here in Paul of, of this knowledge and discerning love that he is praying over. Uh, this church. There's, there, there's a time to dig in. There's a time to rejoice that the gospel is just being heard, that the fame of Jesus is growing, not our own uh, name, our own reputation. 
Um, so nine months ago, our family went through a pretty significant upset. We had le left a church home. We were moving, not even sure quite where we were going to go. No job, wondering what the Lord was doing. And so we had to just keep our arms open before the Lord. What would you have next? This is a stressful time. Lord, show me. You're doing something. I'm not sure what it is. And in his providence, Lord, use that severe mercy. United us with you all here at Trinity Fellowship. Now by the enabling power of the Spirit, we can see the gospel go forward uh, in this place. So the Apostle's encouragement for the church, it really is the same for them as it is for himself. Uh, his eyes are on Jesus. He rejoices in the progress of the gospel because the gospel is the point. He's just going to keep pouring gas on this uh, fire in the rest of this uh, letter. The beauty and power of Christ's redeeming work has absolutely captured his heart. It, is, it has changed his perspective. It has reframed his view of all of life. That's something that it will do for us as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this word. Only you, Lord, can reframe our hearts and our minds that we see all that comes to pass as part of your good work in and through us, in this world. Lord, grow our trust in you, deepen our faith, deepen our, our love for Jesus, that we too would be excited and rejoice as the name of Jesus goes forward, as the name of Jesus is heard. Lord, encourage us in this, that we too would be emboldened, that we'd be encouraged to share this gospel at every opportunity. Be with us now and uh, feed us as we come to your table. In Christ's name, amen.